Hello and welcome to Move the Line. I'm Ryan Noonan, joined here, as always, by my friends. Three friends this time, Connor Allen, John Daigle, Shark Clark. Clark, I suppose in this instance you're the guest. We'll start with you, my friend. How are you doing? Doing well, thanks. Excited to get another week. Get get going with these bets. Uh, week 10, Daigle. How's everything going? Still in the grind? We are about to be officially halfway through the season, so that's always nice for my mental health and excited to get into these games as well. Like Clark Chicago gave us a little bit of a winter respite, uh fall respite today, right? We had a you know, nice 70 plus degree day, a couple in a row, and then it'll be 39 Miserable. on Sunday. Yeah. That's yep. all right. We'll get into it. Connor, how are we doing? Uh, I'm doing great. It's uh, it's beautiful out. I got roped into a uh, a friendsgiving this Thursday, so I have to, you know, miss the game, but I'm, I'm sure they'll have it on there. So it's not too bad though. I could just get to eat a bunch of food, you know, um, breaking my sobriety. So it's, it's, it's all good. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited. Say you're overdressed, no hat, collared shirt. Looking, yeah. You know, this looking is what like I look like in, in normal when I'm not in my office, just cooped up, like staring at, you know, multiple screens all day. Dago, we see him all the time. He never looks like this. What are we talking yeah, about? Yeah. I don't, I don't know why you're saying this is what well, you Well, I don't dress up for you never guys. I mean, come on. <laughs> There's no way. <laughs> Sorry. Next time. Looking good, buddy. Hope you guys have a good time. Uh, reminder, folks, we'll be live right here, 6.45 p.m. Eastern every Thursday, leading you to Thursday Night Football, discussing uh, what we think are the best games of the slate and our favorite games on the board and taking your questions. So if you are hanging out with us now on YouTube, we ask that you subscribe so you don't miss a show. Uh, smash the like button. Share the show with a friend. Uh, this is betting. This is very different than fantasy. You're not giving away the farm to any friends that you're competing with in your leagues. Uh, betting is very communal. We'd uh, appreciate it if you share. Let someone know. Uh, let us know if you jump in the chat with your favorite look is for week 10, side or total. All right, gents, before we jump into the weekend slate of games, I want to remind the folks that we have two episodes of Move the Line each week, uh, both available to stream live here on YouTube, also available in podcast form wherever you consume podcasts. In addition to this Best Bets game preview show here on Thursday nights, Move the Line Prop Drop is live 2 p.m. Eastern every Friday. Pat Mayo joins Connor and myself. Uh, check that out here again on the 444 YouTube page. Comes on your podcast feeds on Saturday as well. Um, and again, if you're hanging out with us on YouTube you can, or uh, just on podcast, stop by the YouTube channel next week because you can hear us talk about the Thursday night game before we talk about these games as well. Also, we are halfway through the season and our subscription price reflects that. Perhaps your fantasy season's falling apart. You're still looking for a sweat on the weekends. Now is the time to scoop up a betting subscription at 4 for 4. With the betting subscription, you get access to everything on the site, every sport, article, tool. From now until the end of February, uh, subscriber-only Discord, I think, is the crown jewel of the subscription. I think uh, gets you access to us. Uh, all of our bets are posted there, plus bets from the rest of the team. That's NBA, college basketball, MMA, soccer. We'll be doing World Cup stuff here soon. Uh, and if you dabble in any of the pick'em sites as well, like Prize Picks, Underdog, Vivid, we have channels and posted plays in there as well. Also, DJ or TJ and Daigle are providing a crap ton of DFS content as well, if that's your thing. Uh, it's all included, again, in the betting subscription. Head over to 444.com slash plans. Check it out. Already discounted 50%, but for you lovely listeners here, we'll give you a promo code next level. All caps, one word, N-E-X-T-L-E-V-E-L. It's going to get you an additional 25% off that listed price for the betting subscription only at 444. All right, gentlemen. Uh, we will start with Houston on the road against the Giants. Shop this one. This is interesting. There are fours 
four and a half, fives, and five and a halfs out there. So depending on your lean, definitely shop uh, total out there at either 40 and a half or 41. Giants coming off of their buy. The rest advantage, though, is mitigated a little bit here. Houston's coming off of a Thursday night game last week. Both teams should be able to run the ball with some success here. And it looks like the early returns are encouraged by the Texans, who are trending to get a little bit more healthy this week. This was six and a half in the look-aheads and when it opened again, again on Sunday. Uh, as I mentioned, down to four in some spots. Clark, I'll let you get kicked off here. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, actually, speaking of our betting Discord, we had a good discussion about this game in there. I think Sam, one of our member, or one of our members, was discussing this with me, and I I really don't like either offense in this game. I mean, it helps that the Texans are getting potentially Cooks and um, uh, Nico Collins back, but the thing is, neither of these matchups are good. So the Giants, you know, they blitz like crazy, and Davis Mills is not the quarterback you want to be back there. You know handling blitzes, reacting to blitzes. He, he's just not the fastest. He doesn't have the weapons that he can just get the ball out quick consistently. It helps that they'll be able to run, but ultimately like running the ball down the field somewhat successfully, but not being able to finish drives or third downs with a strong passing game is a strong underplay for me. And then if you flip the ball to the other side, you know, Daniel Jones doesn't play well against these zone defenses. Um, like, yes, again, they'll be able to run the ball somewhat successfully, but your offense is so limited when it relies on the ground. And so like they're the two most uh, zone heavy teams they face. The giants have been the Panthers and the Seahawks. And against the Panthers, they average 3.8 yards per play on the game against the Seahawks, 3.5 yards per play. These aren't, you know, great defenses and neither are the Texans, but I just don't anticipate a lot of big plays by either team. I don't anticipate a lot of scoring. And I think this total is a little high. I think it should be on the other side of 40. But Dangle, they're getting Kenny Galladay back, man, right? It's like it's going to go crazy, right? And the last time we saw Daniel Jones completed less than 55% of his passes. But as we'll talk about in another game, we can also attribute that to Seattle's defense more than anything, that letdown spot prior to the Giants' bye. And so, yeah, I'm back on board here. I will say the interesting part is that Although we have no confidence in Davis Mills, we do know this Texans offense has turned to Damian Pierce. Damian Pierce has out-touched Rex Burke at 45-3 to in their last two games. And it's the Giants who are one of only four teams, allowing a 17% explosive rushing rate of runs of 10-plus yards. And so I, I do think the Texans will be able to move the ball. And we've seen, you know, when we get to Chiefs-Jaguars, this is probably a topic of conversation as well. We've seen that the NFL unless you're the Bills or Eagles, you're not good enough to cover nine-point spreads. But no no team does because NFL teams are so bad. NFL offenses averaging 21.8 points per game are so bad this year. And so overall, like, yeah, if you're an underdog that can run the ball, you are more than capable of covering, um, you know, a short spread. So I, I don't really have a lean either way, but I expect both teams to be able to move the ball. Yeah. Connor, what do you think here? It's you know, interesting market movement for a Texas team who a lot consider to be the worst in the league. Right. You know, I go through every week and like try and make my own number, you know, before, like after analyzing it, but before looking at the spreads, you know, I try and avoid looking at that. And my, I added a four and a half. So I was like right on, but originally of the six, you know, I saw that and was like, I just don't think that I can still take this right now. Like, I feel like it's way too much. Um, or it's just like, I don't trust either of these teams to be successful. Now I do think both have a significant advantage on the ground, as you guys mentioned, um, you know, Saquon, uh, matching up here against the Texans defense, you know, bottom three in most run defense metrics. And, you know, on the other side, the giants also like if they have a weakness defensively, it's, it's majority in their, you know, uh, in their run game. So I think that if we're looking at how these teams match up, like they should both be effective on the run, but like 
Does that really mean that I want to bet over 41 points? Uh, almost certainly not because the game is going to be so slow paced. Like they have to capitalize on red zone opportunities, which again, like, do I want to bet on that? Definitely not. Uh, and so for me, it's probably a stay away. I think the right side probably was the plus six of the Texans, but like, do I love that at this point? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, if anything, like if you really want to throw them into a teaser, you can, but there's just so many better ways to bet. And I think just better games to bet on here, but I, I don't know. The Giants are getting a lot of respect in the market. I mean, six point favorites is shocking given what we thought coming into the year with them. Yeah. Uh, Giants, it's like, it feels like smoke and mirrors still on the defensive side because they're not great based on a lot of metrics but when you kind of look at it they are very op opportunistic and they're taking advantage of third downs they are actually the worst defense in the league on first downs uh they're almost you know first downs runs first down passes they are awful but third down they're terrific and that i think is making up for a lot of their success here it puts them in spots where especially when it's third and long that allows them to bring their blitzes and do different things that they want to do they've been terrific this season in those scenarios so uh, again to clark's point do we feel great about Davis Mills? He's actually been decent against the Blitz this year. Not a huge sample. It feels maybe a little noisy for me to like sit here confidently and be like, yeah, look, statistically, Davis Mills is great against the Blitz. I don't think any of us feel that. But again, um, it's kind of bared itself out in the numbers. So they are opportunistic on third down. They take advantage. I think they're going to continue to do that, pressure him in very obvious passing situations. And it's worked. It's worked against better teams than the Texans and Davis Mills, that's for sure. Also, I'll be interested to see what Nico Collins' prop is at pending Brandon Cook's situation because remember in two games before injury, even with Brandon Cooks in the lineup, uh, Nico Collins nearly doubled them up in receiving yards. Had basically taken over the role as the wide receiver one from Davis Mills. And so anything low, I think you can go over Nico Collins' receiving props. Yeah, I, I think there's a chance that Brandon Cooks just goes out there and like loafs it. Like, I mean, he's just like full on like, I don't care. Like, why was he DMP I... again today on Thursday? He he practiced, but okay. I thought, but uh, but he's I mean, he said a quote though today. He's like, I don't know why I'm playing for a, a team that's not a contender. He's like, this basically said this is a waste of my time. That's literally what he said. It, so, I, I, I can't stand it. He's the one who signed the extension. Don't sign yeah. the extension. Like it's you just did it literally three months ago. What are we doing? Yeah, I don't it makes no sense. These guys are a bunch of divas, so I don't know. I'm also keeping my eye on injury report for this game because uh, Malik Collins is a big part of the Texans defensive front and their run defense has been especially exploitable with him out. So if he comes back, I think that also kind of lends itself towards an underplay potentially. So, All right, next. Uh, didn't think this game this season would make it on the show. Uh, Detroit on the road in Chicago. Uh, there are two and a halfs. Three is available in the market. So again, if you have a lean, I think it's important to shot. That's a definitely a key number. Total is basically painted 40 and a half across the market. I think we all agree it's been exciting to see Justin Fields unleashed a little bit because he was really failed by his play callers up until this point. But they use that extra rest heading into that New England game, and they definitely have turned the switch a little bit. This is, uh, again, just the intentionality around the design runs, moving the pocket on bootlegs, play action. It served him very well. And at the very least, it's shown that this Bears offense has some life. It was really tough to watch for a while, but um, should be able to keep it rolling here again against the Lions, who are historically bad defense. And they're going to blitz them a ton. They should have a lot of man coverage, a lot of things that are bode well for Fields to continue to do what he's doing. This Bears defense, though, is equally bad. I think they're going to be, especially, you know, trading two of their best players here in the last couple of weeks. Dig, I'll let you get started here with this one with you know, Lions-Bears. You start with Will or Sharp Clark because I think my camera is frozen and my computer seems to be blowing up in my face right now. 
All right. Yeah. I mean, if I was a book and I was trying to, you know, put a, a number on this game, this is one of those games where they say, you know, the advantage the better has is you get to choose your games. And I, I don't know what I would rather have exposure on Detroit plus three or exposure on bears minus two and a half. That's a really tough call, which obviously means I'm not betting it. Both defenses are going to be, yeah, they're going to struggle. The Lions offensive line should be able to maul the Bears defensive line and basically just control the line of scrimmage. And when they control the line of scrimmage, there's less pressure on Goff. And like, we don't want to trust Goff outdoors, you know, in, in the cold with his tiny hands. He can't even hold the football. Great. They may not need to. They may be able to just run the ball and throw short passes. And if he's not under pressure, he'll be fine. Uh, on the other side of the ball, yeah, we've seen the, the Bears offense really come to life. And they're doing all the things that I was kind of hoping they would do with fields at the beginning of the year. And they weren't for some reason. And now they are. Um, but I will say that the Bears offensive success in the last few weeks has been heavily dependent on long third down conversions. And yes, Fields deserves credit for those amazing conversions. And like, it's, it's you know, amazing to watch it happen. It, Lamar Jackson did kind of the same thing when he busted out. It was like, how can he keep doing this? Um, and, you know, maybe he can, maybe he can keep doing this, especially against a bad defense. But I do think there is some, you know, reason for, cautious optimism with the bears offense um but it may not happen for a few weeks as they've got a couple easy matchups coming up no it's a very good point a lot of you know again that like highlight run from last week too i think it was like third and seven you know when he just he saved the day obviously right that's not a spot you want to keep putting yourself into third and seven third and eight and having your quarterback bail you out by his legs so uh jd you look good look like a million bucks i think we're good now uh no, so I was listening to another show as well, and our friend Drew Densick, well capper, pointed out that the Lions, if you recall, weeks one through three, their first three games, whenever they went one and two, um, actually at a plus two scoring margin going one and two. And that's important because the three teams they faced are currently the first, second, and third teams in the NFC. Uh, and so now they're playing a Bears offense that is steamed initially like at first right now for what the bears have done recently but even then bears and lions in the past couple weeks have both played the patriots we all know the bears how lucky they got with a terrible belichick game plan and missing a ton of tackles also the bears recovered six of six fumbles in that game which is absurd and so that i lean more towards the over as well because uh maybe the lions do sneak this one in but what i do know is that both offenses shouldn't have any issues running the ball uh, or moving the ball. Amon Ross St. Brown, for example, we've now seen four full games this year. He's averaging 10 and a half targets, a 32% target share, and the Bears are allowing the most yards per snap to opposing slot receivers where he plays. And then, of course, Justin Fields on the other side, like we know when he keeps the ball, he only wants to go downfield. Like he's leading the league in, in – percentage of passes thrown 20 yards deep and the lions are allowing the most 15 yard passes to be completed in the league. So between his legs, between the arm, between both defenses being atrocious, uh, I do like the over and I think points are scored on both sides of the ball quite easily. Connor, going to go back to the well on shorting Deandre Swift here, uh, chasing James, any thoughts on uh, lions backfield in this game? Uh, no, I can't go back to shorting DeAndre Swift. I mean, they're talking him up that like, you'll probably see more work. And like you said, like if, if we know he's going to be in that five to seven carry range, you can't be betting under like 35 yards. But I, I mean, I felt like I had a good read on him being in more like the three to, you know, two to four touch range, carry range. And that's where he was. So I felt pretty good about that. I think we, 
I mean, I was holding my breath all game. I was watching the game with Daigle, and Daigle's like, why do you care so much? Like, it's Justin Jackson on the field. And I'm like, dude, like, all it takes is one DeAndre Swift run, and I'm going to be bust, though. Uh, but, no, I think in this game specifically, kind of fleshing out what Daigle said there with the Bears' defense, their pass defense, especially the past two weeks since they traded away Robert Quinn, they traded away, uh, you know, Roquan Smith. Last two weeks, completion rate, they have a lot of 73% completion rate, 9.6 yards per attempt, dead last in pass EPA, dead last in explosive pass rate. Now, given that was against the Cowboys and Dolphins, who are, you know, obviously, you know, good offenses, still, I mean, they they looked horrible. Like, they were just like, they were not able to get pressure. They're also bottom five in pressure rate. They weren't able to, like, guard anyone. And they have some decent decent corners, but, like, if you have no pass rush and they're not good enough to overcome that at all. So, you know, I think that that's a major issue. And on the other side, the Bears have scored, you know, 29 points against the Cowboys, 33 against the Patriots, 32 against the Dolphins, who are, you know, third, fifth, and then 22nd in EPA. Now, next two weeks, get the Lions, 32nd, and Atlanta, 31st in EPA. So I think that they over is the bright play here. I think that Justin Fields can always, you know, like he, he can always like raise the ship, you know, raise the tide there if things go poorly. But uh, I mean, it's just going to be, I think it's going to be a lot in Detroit. Like if Detroit plays well offensively, this game's going way over. If they play like shit, like this game is going to be like 2017 or 2014 Bears. I feel the books are telling you they don't really know either. Having two and a halfs and threes readily available, Clark, right? Like it feels very strange for you to be able to have the optionality on both sides of this game for such a prolonged period of time, right? There'll be instances where a line will move and a book will move slower. But for these numbers to be readily available throughout the day on prominent domestics is, is unique. Yeah, yeah, it's a really, really tough game for books to stake a position on. I will give a secret bonus look-ahead look on both these teams. So the Lions are plus four at the Giants right now, and the Bears are plus four at the Falcons. I think both of those are bettable because neither the Falcons nor the Giants should be laying more than a field goal against these two offenses. So that's my that's my takeaway from this game is, is get on the look-aheads before them crashes. I like it. Good shut up. Good stuff. All right, next, Dallas on the road in Green Bay. Uh, also, fours, four and a half, fives available here, total 43 across the board. Packers are losers of five straights. They return home after three straight on the road, and their homecoming gift is the Cowboys and former head coach Mike McCarthy, who is coming off of a bye. Not great for the Packers. Uh, injury report as well for Green Bay is ugly and extensive. Uh, it's only Thursday, but three Green Bay Offensive linemen are trending in the wrong direction, have not practiced yet, uh, including both tackles. They also are going to be probably without two of their best defensive players as well, maybe a couple other starters on the defensive side. It's, again, we have a couple of days to get there, but it's not looking great. Uh, Daigle, give me your thoughts on this one. There's still a few books, quite a few actually, that are still thinking the Packers and Bucks are not below average teams. They haven't adjusted quickly enough. Um the Packers scoring one offensive touchdown, three red zone interceptions was not anything the Lions did on defense. It was an indictment of a completely broken Packers offense. Aaron Rodgers should have been reamed even harder by the broadcast booth about his two in particular interceptions that did not bounce off a helmet because they were atrocious throws. Aaron Rodgers 29th in completion rate under pressure this year, and that's all the Cowboys doing leading the league in pressure rate. Uh, Micah Parsons had been slowed the two games before Dallas's bye, but now he's had 14 days, a full two weeks to get healthy. I would imagine he's back at full strength. And so I genuinely don't know what the Packers bring to the table in this game. Like Dak Prescott, 
Packers blitz at the second highest rate in the league. And Prescott, not only historically, but even this year, has been awesome against extra pass rushers. He has the sixth highest completion rate against the blitz for 8.2 yards per attempt. C.D. Lamb has seen the third most targets against the blitz in the league this year for 11.5 yards per catch. Um, if the Cowboys want to run the ball, they can do so with ease. The Packers have set, faced the sixth fewest rush attempts per game, but have still permitted the sixth most carries of 10-plus yards. Uh, the only hangup I, I come around, especially without Rashawn Gary on the defensive side of the ball, is if Ezekiel Elliott plays, how much do they give him the ball? Because that is a big detriment then to the Cowboys being able to move the ball with ease. Otherwise, the Packers have no advantage here. Even so, I still think they're able to grind Zeke out for, you know, again, inefficient, maybe less efficient than Tony Pollard, but they'll still probably have some success doing it. The pressure thing, Connor, is really difficult if you have no Jenkins here, no Bakhtiari. Like, that's a real problem in this spot. Again, no receivers. And again, a rested Cowboy squad, too. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I think that we are certainly on the square side here, but I like the Cowboys. I mean, it's just like looking at it from a macro perspective, exactly what you said. Like, I just don't really see how the Packers move the ball consistently or at least capitalize. And I don't see how the Packers stop the Cowboys from moving the ball consistently, like, you know, relatively consistently. Packers lost, whatever, five straight in a row against four of them being underwhelming, very underwhelming opponents. Now they're drawing like a very legitimate Cowboys team. I mean, to me, it's just, I get the line. I understand why it is what it is, but it's, I just think that they're still underrated. Like, I feel like the original opener of six, now down to minus four, uh, you know, I think the opener was right. Um, which again, I know we're going against what looks to be serious, sharp action, but uh, I'm pretty confident, like on our on-field handicap that I think the Packer or the, the Cowboys are the right side. Sharp, uh, do you have a dissenting opinion? Like, I'm curious because I feel like you, you look at the game a little differently than we do. So I'm interested to hear your take on this one. I, I expected to, you know, my numbers make it four. Um, so I think the line right now is is right. But, you know, when it comes to a play like this, it's like I've got to have a strong reason why. Like, OK, let's assume that a lot of people are betting the Cowboys. Right. And yet the line's not moving. So, so then, now I'm looking for a reason. Like, why would that be the case? I honestly can't find the reason to bet the Packers here. Um, like if you zoom out for a little bit and talk about who the Packers are, like, even in the last two years when they were really successful, winning the NFC, winning 13 games, Aaron Rodgers was unable to deliver when the game was on the line in the playoffs when it mattered most. You know, he, he protected his interception ratio all year. And I think the, the cost of that is he doesn't get comfortable pushing the boundaries of what he's capable of doing. And so he, he failed against the, the Bucks in the playoffs. He failed against the 49ers in the playoffs. And now this year... It's happening again, but against worse defenses because he doesn't have Devontae Adams. So when he played the Giants, he had a chance to win that game, couldn't do it. When he played the Lions last week, he had a chance to score touchdowns early on, couldn't do it. He had a chance to come back even at the end of the game. He couldn't do it. He can't deliver on third downs. And, you know, that's that's a that's a multi-year problem that has that has plagued him. And so, you know, you're talking about a, a game that likely features the Packers, you know, falling behind and then the Cowboys being able to run which they really well, which is the Packers defensive weakness. And then the Packers, you know, not being able to run because they're behind, or maybe they run like they did against Buffalo and just take the loss. Either way, I, I don't see an angle, which I would feel comfortable putting my money on the Packers, even getting four or five at home in Lambeau. I think this is a pass for me. And like you, I expected the Packers to bring in a little bit of sharp money. It just seems like a side that uh, sharp betters would take, but 
Yeah, I, I cannot get behind the number. We are halfway through the season. We kn- I believe we know what the Packers are because no one else is arriving. We're only taking talent away from them every single week. Yeah, you got to think theoretically a situational better is looking at a Packers team getting more than a field goal at home. It probably hasn't happened many times in the Aaron Rodgers era where they, you know, they're catching um, you know, more than a field goal at home. But again, like when you try to break it down on anything outside of just the situation, it doesn't feel like there's a lot that you can kind of tell yourself a story of how Green Bay is successful at either protecting Aaron Rodgers, moving the ball, or stopping what the you know the Cowboys are very comfortable doing here. So yeah, it does feel like the square side for sure. Uh, and to Clark's point, like it's probably taking a lot of Cowboy money and still holding. So it is another reason to tell you like, Ooh, there's probably something here, but I mean, even teasing the Packers in like a, in like a Wong taking them like through 10. I don't even feel confident there. Like it probably is the right play there, but like I, there's nothing that I want. Uh, there's nothing in this handicap that makes me think I want any sort of Packers ticket come Sunday. I mean, also Romeo Dobbs, I think is a big deal too to them. Cause then, then who's stretching the field for them? Like if no one's opening up any, you know, any avenues for Alan Lazard or, you know, any of the underneath guys, I mean, the dustiest Sammy Watkins, you know, like if that, if those guys aren't be able to get open, then like, what are they going to do? I mean, like, like how are they going to move the ball? I just don't, I don't get it. Yeah. I mean, I will say, I will say the Cowboys defense uh, is, I mean, Dix has been better this year. But one of the ways you could attack the Cowboys defense, at least last year, was like really smart quarterbacks could kind of manipulate him into making mistakes. And the Cowboys haven't faced a ton of really smart quarterbacks this year. And so some of their numbers are a little bit, you know, favorable. Whereas Aaron Rodgers is an actual genius when it comes to playing quarterback. And, you know, I have no confidence that he's going to like, you know, put it together with these receivers. He seems he seems checked out, quite honestly. But I, I think if he had if he was so dialed in, he has the mental capacity to kind of manipulate a defense uh, like the Cowboys and, and you know, hide hide Micah Parsons' impact, things like that. I just don't really think he's there. I don't think he's he's preparing with that type of mentality uh, with these receivers. I feel like if we get anything on on the tackles on the Green Bay side, if they are ruled out or even one of them is ruled out, I feel like this, this starts to move a little bit. I think this starts to move closer to six again. Uh, just my gut. I just I have a hard time with you know trying to have them game plan to shift and slide protection to keep him upright because they'll just tee off on him. So it'll be interesting. All right, next we have the Jacksonville Jaguars on the road in Kansas City. It's nine and a half everywhere. Totals out there at 50 and a half or 51, which is important if you're looking to back the total. 51, the key number here. Uh Jags let the Raiders climb out of a big lead in week nine before crawling back. The Chiefs are coming off of a tightly contested night Sunday night game. Against the Titans, ran a million plays in that one, and now have the Chargers in a look-ahead spot in Week 11. Could be a little bit of that here. This comes down to whether or not you think the Jags' offense, Clark, can push a little bit. Uh, and I think this Chiefs' defense will allow you to push if you can. Definitely. Uh, I I like both these teams. Um, and, you know, what we saw on, on Sunday night and Monday night, whenever the Chiefs played the Titans, was – the classic way you beat Mahomes, you get pressure with your front four consistently and you flood coverages with everybody else and don't let anyone get a window. And when you can actually get to Mahomes in the first few seconds of the play and do that, you can have success against him. It's the only way to beat him. And the Titans did it. The Jaguars, I'm skeptical they can do that. They don't typically run, you know, they, they run blitzes, they run single high and they're aggressive. 
And and like, you know, defenses can change who they are game to game based on game plans. But when they played the the Broncos and Russell Wilson, they played single high, even though Russell Wilson is so much better against single high. And it cost him. He literally threw the game-winning pass down the sideline against single high coverage. And so I don't really trust the Jaguars to change who they are. I think they're going to try to get after Mahomes, and I think it's going to be bad for them. But on the other side of the ball, the Jaguars are finally going to be playing without the pressure of being favorites, without the, the pressure of winning. It's I think it's going to be a little bit different for them going into Kansas City as big underdogs and just kind of having that different mentality. They've been really successful moving the ball down the field, but everything has been short well, short to intermediate, 15, 20-yard gains at most. And so what that means is they have to score from the red zone because they're not getting those explosive plays from outside the red zone. And when they've gotten in the red zone, they've just made two or three key mistakes that have basically swung games. And those types of things tend not to be, you know, predictive game after game after game. And so I think if they just avoid mistakes in the red zone, they can hopefully keep pace, but at least at least put up, you know, 20-plus points. And, and they've been a piss poor offense in the red zone but at the same time this matchup is a lot like last week and that Jaguars even last week scored a touchdown on three or four red zone possessions uh the Chiefs are allowing the third highest rate of passing touchdowns overall and are also one of only four defenses allowing a 70 percent touchdown percentage inside the red zone and so I think they can continue to lean on efficiency here the the jar has been open. Like now Doug Peterson has seen what Travis Etienne can do. And that's why the past two games, Lawrence has been down to 31 pass attempts per game compared to 35 per game prior to that, because Etienne has 24 and 28 carries the past two weeks. Uh, like they know how explosive he is. And so I, I do think the Jaguars can do enough here and are elevated enough by Kansas city's defense to hang around and cover. Honestly. Yeah. What do you got Connor? Uh, I think it's probably a good spot for maybe, Lawrence to get back on the volume side because they'd probably have to hang, but it's an interesting point that Daigle makes. Yeah, I'm on, on on his overs for sure. And it's kind of because, I mean, for a lot of the reasons you guys mentioned here, and like KC is just like, they're just a below average defense. I mean, you look into the metrics, it reflects kind of what we're seeing on the field here. It's not like, I mean, I wouldn't say they're like horrible by any means, but they're they're not like good. And so I think in the Jacksonville Jaguars, like offensively, again, like they've been above average. You know, they've made a bunch of mistakes in the red zone, as you mentioned. That's kind of why I, I mean, generally stayed away from them a little bit, just because it seems like on a week to week basis and like play to play basis, I don't necessarily think that it reflects like their metrics right now, which is like 10th in EPA, 7th in pass EPA. It's like you'll see just some incredible throws by Trevor Lawrence one play, and then you'll see him throw like a backbreaking interception the next. It's like, you know, the play to play volatility with a guy like him is just so wild right now, but you know, it's, it's a, it's a work in progress. Uh, and I think that in this spot here where he's probably gonna make mistakes, but I think that's okay. Uh, you know, I think that it'll be a little bit more forgiving because his Kansas city defense. So, you know, I, I, I like the over in this and I would probably lean Kansas city if he got to 10, but for me, it's probably just stay away. Cause I think both teams like, you know, whatever, like like a 35, you know, 27 type of game would not be that surprising. And that's like, you know, well, well over this total. Yeah, and the 50 and a half is a good look too if you are wanting to back an over here because I do think that, that matters. Uh, Clark, do you give any credence to look at spot as far as in-division matchup with uh, the Chargers on deck? No, I don't really consider that. I think I think NFL teams are, are pretty dialed in week to week, especially one coached by Andy Reid. Um, I, I, I will read especially. Yeah, I will say that I think this is a good matchup for the Jaguars offense as well as the Chiefs offense because the Chiefs also play aggressively on defense and Trevor Lawrence doesn't take sacks. I mean, he, he's been sacked 12 times in, in the entire season. And he reads pressure well and he escapes pressure well. And so I think what we're going to see is two aggressive defenses getting burned. We're going to see a lot of plays. I think we're going to see a lot of success. And we've got two coaches who are aggressive and will go for it on fourth down. 
So when they when they get that fourth and two on the opponent, you know, 40, they're not going to punt, you know, fourth and five, they're not going to punt, they're going to go for it. And those are the types of decisions that also kind of lead towards an over. Um, so I, I think I like the over as the best angle in this game, but I also like the Jaguars to cover. All right, hashtag our Jags. Let's keep it rolling. All right, uh, next, Seattle and Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay, two and a half point favorite in most spots. There is a plus three on the Seattle side on MGM out there, minus 120 if you're looking to take Seattle. Total 44 and a half. Game is in Germany, so uh, no home field advantage here for Tampa. Seahawks fans are going to have to get up pretty early for this one. 6.30 local time kick there uh, in Germany. Uh, we all keep waiting for the Bucks to show signs of life. Dagle was talking about this too. Like Again, we the NFC was so poor coming into the season. There just didn't seem to be a really clear contender. And I think just on paper, there's a lot of familiar faces with the Bucks that have been part of their success the last couple of years. And it's just kind of not clicking. Uh, they beat the Rams last week. That's not nearly as, as impressive as it sounds because the Rams are also in that boat. Seattle, I think, is without question one of the league's best stories, biggest surprises, and the defense is begin, beginning to catch up to the early season offensive performances that have caught off guard. Uh, Connor, I know you had a tweet about this, and I also read something today. Since week six, the Seahawks rank first in defensive success rate against early down runs. Like They're really stout suddenly. Uh, again, this defense has been opportunistic early, and now it's starting to kind of turn it around. That's a big problem against Tampa who just absolutely loves to turn the ball to their running backs on first downs, despite being terrible at it. They are 30th in first down run DVOA, 31st overall on the ground this season. It's a massive problem, Connor. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, not only first in uh, early down run success rate, first in success rate overall, second in EPA the last four weeks, fifth in pass EPA, first against the run and seventh in pressure rate. And I mean, I know two of those games are against the Cardinals, uh, but it's just like people are asking me why, and I, I don't necessarily have an answer for it. It's just that the four games we've seen before, it's like a stark dif difference from what we saw weeks one through five. They were along 30 points per game. We're bottom three in all the same metrics that I mentioned. Now week six through nine, uh, only allowing 16.5 points per game and you know top five in essentially every metric uh, that I mentioned here. So I don't want to say that Seattle's live, but I think that they're – I think it's going to be close here. I think that this is, uh, you know, at three points here, I think it's more than fine because with the defense continuing to play well, Tampa Bay is still broken. I mean, Daigle mentioned it earlier, like they should have lost last week. I mean, they should have lost this Rams team. And I don't, I don't think necessarily the Rams played all that well either, but Tampa Bay, they couldn't run the ball. Uh, it didn't matter if it was Rashad White or Leonard Fournette. I mean, Rashad White had marginally more success, but it didn't matter. And they, I mean, they could kind of pass the ball, but Brady was just like, he was like abandoned the game plan very clearly like 10 minutes in was just like, we're not running the ball anymore. I'm just going to drop back and pass every single play. And so, yeah, I, I, for me, I think that Seattle is just right now They're, I mean, their defense is coming on their offenses continue to play well. Uh, you know, it would not surprise me. Also Seattle uh, apparently has like the, like a massive fan base in Germany. I, mean, I was reading that today. Um, and I know they, they have a lot of Brady fans too, but uh, I mean, just something to think about there. I think it could be worth a plug. 13th man or something like that right i heard about that like there's a bit of a massive like conglomerate of of seahawks fans in germany but yeah uh they're also gonna be able to protect gino as well the bucks are not getting a ton of pressure 23rd in espn's uh you know pass rush win rate and seattle's fourth at protecting gino like they have been keeping him upright Dago. what are your thoughts on this one connor said the seahawks may be live 
Uh, I just think they're the better team. I laughed when I saw Ooh. this line. I was like, <laughs> why, why aren't the Seahawks favored? In a neutral field, like the Seahawks should be favored because they're their big, better team. Bucks are 2-6-1 and one against the spread, have the third lowest red zone, red zone scoring percentage in the league. Tom Brady's 11 of 26 inside the 10-yard line, and if you remove the final 50 seconds of their last two games, the Bucks would have gone three consecutive weeks without scoring a touchdown. Why are the Bucks? favorites they're not the better team at all and so no i i think the seahawks just went out right the seahawks money line is one of my favorite picks of the entire week um connor already hit on the defensive changes i think that's because honestly of uh younger players slowly learning the playbook and coming to speed on their roles on defense but also 16 and a half points per game and four and a half sacks per game the last month for this defense. And yeah, it was against Kyler twice, but one of those times, remember, was against Hopkins this past game. And they limited Kyler in that offense that scored 34 points in consecutive weeks to just 175 passing yards. Also, one of those games was against Jalen Hurts. And again, they they forced Daniel Jones to season lows through the air. So I think they're for real. And I think they're a better unit than the Bucks offense. I agree, Clark. Uh, why is why are Daniel and I wrong? <laughs> so this is a very divisive game and it's fun to talk about. I, I could probably talk about this game for an hour, but the there, there's two different ways to look at what's happening here. And I think if you look only at production, you look at statistics, you look at EPA per play, all those types of things. I don't think you can make a case that the Bucks are the better team. The Seahawks are simply better. And the, the getting, give, giving the Bucks or gi- yeah, giving the Seahawks three points is, is not correct. However, there's, a lot of context for those numbers that has to be considered. And yes, the Seahawks defense is young. And so you would expect them to improve over the course of the season. And they have, but these last four games, it's not just bad teams. They faced the Cardinals offensive line has, has been completely obliterated. They don't, their offensive line sucks. They, they fumbling multiple snaps. They can't block. That's two of the games. The giants also played that game without Evan Neal. And after traveling to London and then to New York and then to Seattle, the Giants offense also isn't good to begin with, in my opinion. And then the, th- the fourth game was the Chargers, who were also completely banged up on the offensive line. No receivers. They were you know, thrown to guys named Bandy. These, these offenses that they've shut down are nothing. And the Bucks are something. They, they have really struggled, but a lot of it is drops. A lot of it is you know, borderline plays that aren't going their way. You still got Tom Brady. He's not, he's not you know, his arm still works. He's not washed. Like when you watch him play, he's not shorting throws. He's not unable to do anything. He's just frustrated because he's not getting time in the pocket. The offensive line's not holding up and he's kind of, you know, quitting a bit early. I think he can kind of get those things together, especially coming off the heels of that game winning drive. And so I don't think it's as easy as the Seahawks are the better team getting points, slam them. I think it's a little bit of, oh, and also the Seahawks offense has been getting away with a lot of stuff. Geno Smith threw multiple picks against Arizona that were dropped or, you know, call back on penalty things that should have killed drives and would have really changed that game. And so I think the Bucks blitz can get to Geno. The, the Seahawks have been doing a good job pass blocking. The Bucks haven't been great at pass rush win rate, win rate, but when they blitz, they get to Geno fast. And what Geno likes to do is hold the ball too long. And so that could lead to more mistakes, especially seeing as he's got away with them. I think this is a more volatile game than people think. Um, and I, I I think it should be picked. So I do think that the the line is, is you know, Seahawks to the side. But I think it's a little bit more volatile than people think just from looking at the numbers. Yeah, and you played the under, right, in this game? Yeah, yeah. the under is my favorite look. It's 44 and a half. And I think both offenses are going to struggle. We know that Bucks' offense is broken. But I think the Seahawks' offense is also a little bit, uh, you know, the numbers are a little bit fluky the last couple of weeks, like, 
totals being propped up by, you know, pick six or again, dropped interceptions, things like that. I, I think this is going to be a, a little bit of an uglier game than, than people might think. Yeah. I do think out of the teams we talked about again, Packers, Rams briefly mentioned, and then again here back to the Bucks. Of all the teams that I think we had massive expectations coming into the season, I do think because Brady's not washed, that is the team that I think I have the, I, I'd be the least surprised if all of a sudden they turned it on, right? But I think that we're having to pay full price for that expectation here based off of what's happening. So like, I think your handicap is fantastic. I do think, especially if under 44 and a half, I think is the right look. Um, if you can catch a full three on Seattle or you like the money line, I think that, that probably is a good look too. But again, I think it's going to be an interesting game. I wish that was a Thursday nighter instead of having to make us wake up early on, you know, on uh, Sunday to make us take this one in. But, uh, you know. Yeah. An- another look is to tease Seattle up to eight and a half because, you know, I-, I-, I don't know how you can see this Bucks offense just kind of pouring it on Seattle and Seattle doing nothing back. Like I, the, the the game flow, if the Bucks do take a lead, I just don't see them, you know, burying them. They weren't even able to bury the Falcons. Like this is, I think, I think teasing Seattle is a good look. You don't you don't come here for uh, fantasy tips, but as I wrote in the whatever wire column, Seahawks defense next month of the season, Bucks, Raiders, Rams, and Panthers. It's a pretty good run out. All right, last Chargers on the road in San Francisco. This is minus seven everywhere. Total also forty five and a half, basically across the board. Pretty big rest and health advantage here for the Niners uh, coming off of the buys. Chargers team is. Still beat up on both sides of the ball, particularly the offense, obviously far from full strength. They have one of the league's worst run defense as well. They might be without two of their starting defensive linemen here, uh, Jerry Tillery and Austin Johnson. Johnson's on the IR, so he's definitely out here. I think they might struggle to protect Justin Herbert here. It looks like Trey uh, Pipkins. we got to wait and see what happens with with his health. We know we're going to be without Keenan Allen. We're going to be without Mike Williams. There is a tendency here, if you look at long-term, Kyle Shanahan at home, big number as a favorite, has played with his food a little bit here. But uh, I don't know. Clark, I'll let you start this one off. Uh, Niners minus seven. What are your thoughts? Uh, this is another one that we discussed in the betting discord. Um, and there really is, you know, the question is, on what grounds can we take seven points with Justin Herbert here, right? You, when you get an elite quarterback and you get a touchdown underdog, you're looking for ways to play that. Uh, but again, I, I go through the matchups, I, you know, I go through the injury reports and I just don't, I don't see how the chargers can keep up. You know, they're going to be able to get pressure on Justin Herbert with four. And then who is Justin Herbert going to throw to? If Keenan Allen doesn't play, which I'm assuming he won't, it's going to be the same story again. And that's bad news. They won't be able to run the ball because they'll be behind and the 49ers have a good run defense. And then on the other side of the ball, the 49ers, this is going to be their first game with, Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, Kyle Juszczyk, Trent Williams, all healthy and on the team. And, and they got Brandon Ayuk too and George Kittle. Like Shanahan's had two weeks to prepare for this game with all these weapons. This this just seems like, you know, the only angle you'd be taking the Chargers is I'm getting an elite quarterback plus seven. But outside of that, I just don't see any reason to touch the Chargers in this game. If anything, I think this might hit seven and a half. Even though it opened, you know, the look ahead was minus three and a half. I think that was wrong to begin with. And then I think we've seen some, you know, people realize that it was wrong and bet it up, but I don't think we've seen the top. I think this is a one-way action on 49ers. I think the preseason look ahead was a pick as well. 
And so you would think that suggests value, but to your point, like this elite quarterback, supposedly that we would be betting on the last month of the season, he has a 66% completion rate for 5.4 yards per attempt, four touchdowns. So one per game in that span and three picks. He's three of 16 on throws 20 yards downfield in that span, which is why 47% of his passes have come within nine yards of the line of scrimmage. Also Trey Pipkins. That's another injury report. Uh, uh, offensive lineman slapped on there. That's who would be defending Nick Bosa as well. It's just two teams that are going in opposite directions right now. I don't blame Herbert for all of it. I, he definitely should be accountable for some of it, but it's also Lombardi. It's also Staley. It's also the injuries. It's literally everything at the wrong time for this particular matchup. To think they're this bad stopping the run with their guys, knowing they're right. probably going to be out without two of the guys that they've deemed to be better than the rest of their guys is a problem, Connor. Um, I know we're probably waiting for some McCaffrey uh, total yards props here. Yeah, you know that I don't like betting overs on high totals, and that is circled on my list as something that I'm just blindly betting over. I don't even care, like 150 rushing receiving yards. I mean, that's like that sounds about right to me this week. Just insane matchup. And like how we look at like, like Sharp broke it down well here. Like I just see the San Francisco continuing to move the ball like however they want, essentially. And so like I think the team total over 26 uh, and a half is a pretty good look here. Um, because you figure that the Chargers are not just going to like, you know, sit, roll over and like, you know, just like run the ball and end the game. Like they're going to just throw every play and that's going to come at their own detriment uh, if if it means so or push the pace and both teams score a lot. So, you know, I think that it, the team total there is a good look. Seven, I think is about right. You know, I lean towards the Niners for all the reasons you guys mentioned, but like just getting that touchdown, you know, again, that's a, it's a nice cushion for uh, for Herbert there. But yeah, I, I think the seven is the right side. If you if you want to tease this, I think this is a great teaser leg. I think getting San Francisco down to basically just winning uh, is a fantastic teaser leg here. You think you did that seven and then they go down and they score in their first possession and it's seven zip, four minutes to go on in the game, and you're starting fresh. You're not feeling great about having that touchdown anymore. Like you're just a game reset. And uh, I, I mean, I, I get the, I think Clark's point is, is fantastic around just theoretically having elite quarterback with a touchdown. But Daigle also brought up like, Joe Lombardi is continuing to hamstring this guy. And I know it is also a problem because of the weapons that they have now based off the injuries, but they're also just not letting this guy loose. We're not getting to see the elite quarterback shine and be that guy. It's almost like he's neutered a little bit. And again, the injuries don't help. Yeah. I, I think if you're going to back the chargers, I almost think you should just take the money line. I, I, I think that the, you know, like if the game flow I think this game goes one of two ways. One, I think it's one way 49ers, the game's over by the end of the third quarter. Or if if the Chargers are somehow able to stop what the 49ers are doing and kind of make it a competitive game, then I think you see the Chargers kind of come alive. Like, you know, I've been hearing these locker room reports about how they're like super loose and super excited and like singing songs and stuff. Like this doesn't seem like a team that has given up on its season. And I think if they if they kind of get a breath of life late in this game, I want Herbert over Jimmy Garoppolo to finish the game, you know, with the game on the line. But I just don't think we're going to get there. I think I think there's going to be too much, you know, I, I think there's going to be a lot of three and outs for the Chargers, quite quite honestly. And so that gives a, a little leeway for the 49ers to cover that seven because they'll, you know, essentially get more drives. I, th I think there's more more chance that the 49ers cover a big number, maybe even an all spread, uh, than the Chargers went outright. But I would go one of those two ways. All right, that's uh, our six-pack of games. Uh, anyone else have anything that they want to share that's off the board here that they like this week? Connor, is there anything, any of the games that we didn't touch on that you want to give a shout-out to? 
Yeah, I think one real quick. I like Dolphins Browns over uh, in that game. I think that you know you mentioned it. I think Miami drags them into like an upper pay, like a fast paced game. I expect uh, the uh, the Browns have a ton of success passing the ball as well. And Miami's run defense is good, but not elite. So it's not like they're gonna be able to stop Nick Chubb and the uh, the running game there. So I think that game goes well over into the fifties. And Raiders Colts under. I took this at forty two and a half. Now down to forty one and a half. I mean, this is like actually the funniest shit I've ever seen with the Colts. You know, with obviously Jeff Saturday at head coach coming from being a high school head coach and it was in the league for a while, elevated Parks Frazier, their pass game coordinator, never called plays before. But on the other side, too, Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro go on IR this week. And then Divine Diablo, their linebacker, gets hurt. Blake Martinez is about to step into a bigger role. Is like, nope, I'm out. Retires midweek, midseason, and is like, I don't even want that. Like, it's not even worth it. And so, like, that I think that's just like a great, like, it exemplifies what is going on in in Vegas, which is like no one is happy, no one knows what the fuck's going on. So, like, I for me, it's just like an under game. They're gonna run Jonathan Taylor, who's full of practice, a bunch. I don't think they're gonna pass the ball much. And then on the other side, probably just run Josh Jacobs a ton, get out of there with like a 2017 game either way. So, uh, I'm I'm certainly not betting either side, but I just like I just find the game hilarious. There is no world where the Raiders should be six and a half point favorites, but I don't. I do not have the gall to to call that line either direction, honestly. No, I took under 17 and a half in the Colts team total. Cause again, like I get the Raiders defense is not anything that we should be bullish on. They're not good, but like 17, if Jeff Saturday and park Frazier have their stuff together, I this still, we're talking about Sam Ellinger who's been just abysmal here. And uh, yeah, it's a, well, let, let me, let me, stick up for the Colts a little bit here. I, I, I make this game three and I've, I've written down in big, bold letters. Don't touch it. <laughs> but, but the thing about it is, okay. Sam Ellinger played two games. His first game, he was actually pretty decent against Washington. They, they struggled. They had like random turnovers in the red zone. Like they moved the ball up and down the field against Washington. Washington's defense is respectable. And then his second game was at New England, and surprise, surprise, Bill Belichick just completely shut him down. Like, he does this to every rookie quarterback ever. So I don't think that we should be giving up on Sam Ellinger because of his poor performance against the Patriots. The Raiders' defense is the opposite. They're really easy to figure out. I think that, you know, I I was kind of hoping that they would not fire uh, their coach right before this game because I was going to look to back the Colts. Um, But I I think that, you know, Ellinger is just kind of like a – play it as it goes kind of like free free freestyling kind of quarterback anyway like i think they are totally live in this game especially if they get jonathan taylor back um and the raiders are going to be without waller and renfro so like which also goes towards your under connor but but i i think the colts are totally live and i don't, I don't think we should be just abandoning them in this spot that doesn't mean i'm betting it <laughs> smart man Re- trust your notes uh jd what do you got here anything else the only other thing is that uh, I did bet the Steelers early in the week. It looks like we're getting TJ Watt back. Steelers returning from a bye. Um, without TJ Watt, they're dead last in sacks since week two. Only eight sacks total since week two, which is crazy. Um, and Saints, of course, in a short week and now traveling on the road. TJ Watt, I think, matters the most for a turnover prone quarterback like Andy Dalton. But more importantly, it also seems like we're just going to get the best players on the field for the Steelers coming out of their bye, whether it be Jalen Warren in a timeshare as the needle continues slowly moving towards his way. And I don't ever, I think at most, 
this season, the ceiling is an Ezekiel Elliott, Tony Pollard situation. Uh, this same coaching staff just took Najee Harris number 24 overall next year. Even though he's been bad, maybe due to injury, they're not going to take him off the field permanently. There's no way. But more touches for Jalen Warren is definitely a good thing. And then also more volume for George Pickens without Chase Claypool in the lineup. So, yeah, I, I just think the Steelers are in the better situation in this game. I like it. Uh, I took the Rams team total under – uh, 23 and a half. I think that has moved a little bit with this uh, Matthew Stafford news. I don't know why they keep getting hung at 20 plus. They've scored less than 20 in six of the last seven, including the first matchup against the Cardinals. This offense is, again, this is similar to the Packers. Like it's the old Rick Matino Celtics thing. Larry Bird's not walking through that door. Kevin McHale's not walking through that door. Like there's nothing coming to save this Rams offense here. It's, uh, it's bad. It's, it's going to be so interesting to see how many and who of them walk away because you know at the end of the year when one of them's done like the first one to drop that card between Stafford and Aaron Donald the rest follow Sean McVay included they're they're all going out together so I, I'm just curious to see if we're actually like only nine weeks away from that happening and McVay can probably get the bag on TV real quick anywhere he wants so this is not advisable so maybe a little fishy but you can do a same game parlay um I same game parlayed um, cause I think the Cardinals are also a mess. Their offensive line Clark mentioned earlier, they're like beat up. Um, and again, this horizontal raids, a mess. You can take both team totals, move them through 24 under 24 and a half on both and get basically even odds in a little same game parlay. I don't think those teams are reaching through those key numbers there. Uh, like that quite a bit now that that game's moved a little bit on the total. So I don't think we see many points there at all. So, uh, that's about it. Yeah. Clark, is there anything off the board that you want to highlight before we uh, call it a day? Nope, just my favorite bet we, we discussed earlier, but the Jaguars team total over 20 or over 20 and a half. Um, I got it today at plus 105. I think it moved to plus 100 since then, but um, I'll be I'll be publishing an article about that tomorrow morning. But um, if you're listening, then and I would get that before it moves any higher. And I like JD's call on the Steelers too. If you can find the two and there are some out there, I think the Steelers and the, and the Seahawks are a pretty nice little long teaser. Uh, get you through the seven on both of those. I think uh, I, was, I was on the Ravens Monday night just because like the Saints defense had allowed 33 points per game the month leading up to that Raiders game. Raiders, the flu goes around. They fall completely flat. Also, the, the Raiders, like it made no sense. The Saints, like we just didn't think the Ravens would move the ball with ease. Um, and I think it's the same situation after the Ravens with all those injuries just walked over the Saints. I can't, you know, Kenny Pickett's been terrible. He's last in the league in completion rate on throws 10 and 20 yards downfield. But at the same time, there's enough good things happening in the direction of the Steelers that it's a great matchup. Maybe we should be looking similar to our thoughts that we had on unders for P.J. Walker. Maybe Andy Dalton. Maybe that leash isn't quite as long either. Um, if those get posted as full looks, I think Andy Dalton unders uh, might be viable. They might be viable anyway, to Jago's point, with uh, with T.J. Walker coming back. So. All right, gents. Good stuff as always. Uh, you can see if you're watching on YouTube, everyone's Twitter handles here. About Twitter is not fully burned down as we've uh, wrapping up this recording and is still online. So you can follow us there if you're looking to, along with uh, us at 444 at 44 bets and 444 football. So for Connor, Tago, and Clark, I'm Ryan. We'll see you all tomorrow, 2 p.m. Yeah.